It's April 18, 2022, and this is the Watson Weekly, your essential e-commerce digest. Today on our show, Etsy strike fizzles out before it begins. Kroger and Bed Bath & Beyond launch new e-commerce site. Target tiptoes back into resale with new ThreadUp partnership. Shopify makes a succession plan for CEO Toby Lutka, among other human resources changes. And finally, the Investor Minute, which contains six items this week from the world of venture capital, acquisitions, and IPOs. But first, in our shopping cart full of news, Etsy strike fizzles out before it begins. Etsy recently told its customers and shared with investors that it's raising fees from 5 to 6.5% and specifies that it will pour this money into marketing and other improvements to the business. From the point of view of those operating the company, this is not really going to be about taking more money out of the business. It's more about growth and investment. In the wake of Etsy planning a fee raise, there are petitions gathering and a kind of online strike had been organized. In this hyper news cycle where investors are listening carefully when CNBC or Bloomberg runs everything, suddenly it becomes a story. The problem is the narrative is misguided if you know anything about marketplaces. The sole job of a marketplace is to bring new customers, and most sellers will tolerate almost anything as long as that's happening. Even before I saw the metrics, I knew it wouldn't amount to anything. Nothing has fundamentally changed about Etsy's value proposition over time. Social media amplifies everything. Investors are sometimes listening too hard in an attempt to generate alpha, be first, or some other reason. Etsy's still a great business. It's still a business that's tough to scale, too, because unique items are tough. It's likely a business that still needs to keep acquiring vertical-specific marketplaces to continue to grow. Consider eBay's marketplace maturity in the 2000s. To say it had a vocal community is an understatement. As one of the first online marketplaces, eBay had to invent new rules as it went along. Each new policy or fee hike brought a mini-revolution. The only potential threat to the business was when the site went down continuously over and over for months prior to eBay's CTO stabilizing and helping rebuild the platform. The fact that even the platform going down didn't kill the business tells you a lot. This isn't to say I don't care about the little guy or it doesn't affect entrepreneurs who are selling on Etsy. I simply find it to be entirely overblown in this activist unionization environment right now. A strike sounds newsworthy. It's not. There are any number of things that sellers can do to respond. They can bundle items to increase average order value, raise their own prices, remove lower profit items from the website, find new white space in the marketplace that isn't as competitive, lower costs, find new suppliers, or streamline their own processes, or any combination of all those things. Let's put this another way. If Etsy is raising its prices, it should tell you a few things. One. Etsy thinks it can keep growing its business by investing in it. As a seller, you should take that information and do something with it. Think carefully about the types of sellers and products that are likely to benefit from this kind of environment. As far as trying to predict what sellers will do, it's pretty simple. The only metrics to pay attention to are active buyers, repeat buyers, transaction velocity, GMV, multi-category buying, average order value, etc. Until the buyers leave, the sellers are going to be there. And when the buyers leave, The sellers are gone. Everyone turn out the lights. Till then, marketplaces serve a purpose that is not going away, regardless of fee hikes. Our second story. Kroger and Ben Bath & Beyond launch a new e-commerce site. 
Kroger recently announced an expanded tie-up with Bed Bath & Beyond on the Kroger website with the addition of home and baby categories to its e-marketplace. There are at least a few stories happening here. One, grocery is getting more competitive. Walmart continues to expand its capabilities in grocery and its omnichannel capabilities are also growing. Target is expanding its food offerings in a big way in order to incent more return trips, and it's working. Costco is also a monster and is not going away anytime soon. I predict its share is the most durable. I've seen data noting them as high as 5% of the U.S. grocery market. To compare, I've seen Walmart at 21% and Kroger at approximately 10% of the market. But I suspect that Kroger's market share are not on the rise. I would love to have that data. Kroger can't sit still and expect to survive. Second, Bed Bath & Beyond needs more distribution primarily for its private label brands. It's not like Kroger couldn't source those major brands directly. Third, it is likely that there is a high degree of overlap between the customers of both Bed Bath & Beyond and Kroger. Recall this is not the first time these companies have partnered. Last year, they launched an in-store pilot together. Marketplaces tend to work well in broad categories like home. The baby category is another matter because trust is so important there, but obviously there are many families baby shopping in the grocery aisles. The convenience factor is huge. Will this be a difference maker compared to Walmart? Unfortunately, I don't think so. Walmart can still do all of this on their own and at higher margin. Target can also sit back and pluck the best ideas for itself. It's already a huge player in all these categories today. Our next story. Target tiptoes back into resale with new ThreadUp partnership. Like any large retailer, Target has a gigantic returns problem that can't be solved with just one strategy. Many companies are used to overseas, donations, jobbers, landfills, and off-price. Resale will get you higher returns on the same amount of inventory as opposed to selling to jobbers, while at the same time being more environmentally friendly than landfills. This is what piqued my interest in Target's recent marketplace test with ThreadUp. From what I can tell, Target has taken 40,000 of its gently used items and put them on a curated page on ThreadUp's site. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to find a copy of the page to review. There are obviously some Target items on ThreadUp's site already, and they're all in good or excellent condition, which means gently used. My thoughts on this are pretty straightforward. First, this isn't really a money-making venture. Resale is hard, and by the time the item is sold, you're not talking about a significant net profit, taking into account fees and shipping in both directions. Instead, this is more of a test as to what the sell-through could be like and determining the percentage of its returns portfolio that could flow through these channels. Second, there are 5 billion pounds of return goods that end up in landfills each year. Any amount of reusing product rather than trashing it is a good thing. This also highlights good marketing value for Target. Lastly, if this isn't a huge miss for eBay, I don't know what is. For years, I've watched brands avoid eBay because of its flea market image. On the contrary, used items should be viewed as its sweet spot. If you're on the eBay partnership team, please wake up and make things easier for brands who want to sell on your site. And our last story. Shopify makes a succession plan for CEO Toby Luca, among other human resources changes. Shopify has recently made a number of changes related to human resources in company succession. Let's look at the human resources changes first. These include updating Shopify pay policies, combat the recent decline in the company's shares price. Shopify also hired a chief talent officer, Tia Silas, formerly of Wells Fargo, IBM, and Pitney Bowes. This is a role left vacant when Brittany Forsyth left the company in May 2021, who had been with the company since the beginning. 
Big company culture and startup growth don't often mix, but let's give the benefit of the doubt here. Second, starting in July, Shopify is offering all employees a blanket raise as well as choice regarding compensation enhancements, more salary or more stock. This is a smart move. Having been an employee at Channelizer in the early days when valuations fluctuated, I always appreciated having the choice between compensation and options that I could weigh with my own personal risk tolerance. Of course, I always chose the stock. Shopify's board recently proposed a few resolutions to be passed at the next shareholder meeting, and these things tend to be rubber stamped. It was proposed that Toby gets founder shares, which gave him 40% voting power in the company, effectively giving him ironclad control of Shopify, even if he moves on from his current CEO role. It's interesting to look at what things that they were considered moving on from. The two roles mentioned were a consultant to the company whereby Shopify is the primary customer or a board member. This effectively secures Toby's control in the event of succession moves. Why is this relevant? Well, from time to time, Toby himself muses about his fitness to be CEO and has even openly pondered moving on from the role if he finds there's a better person to lead the firm. The proposed expanded voting rights reminds me of the control that Mark Zuckerberg has over the future of Meta and serves a few purposes. Toby can think about his own next steps and not be clouded by the thought of losing control of Shopify's direction. It's also a preemptive activist shareholder defense. Simply put, the best time to prepare for an activist is before there is one. It's not lost on the board that in a world where someone like Elon Musk or Ryan Cohen could buy a few shares, send a few tweets, then massively affect Shopify's stock price or board composition, it pays to be extra cautious. The company could change in an afternoon. This could mean that the company wants to keep making risky bets. Shopify Fulfillment Network could be one example, but will there be others? You know, without worrying that an activist could say the company is misallocating resources. One last thing here is that Shopify stock is splitting 10 for 1. Not much comment as this tends to happen. Could this trigger another run-up? Even though stock puts mean nothing, investors don't always see it that way. It's that time, friends, for our Investor Minute. We have six items on the menu today. First, South Korean e-commerce aggregator Wholesome raised a $50 million Series A to roll up third-party sellers on e-commerce platforms in Asia. The aggregator trend is alive and well in Korea, apparently. I don't expect this will work too well there either. Second, live shopping video marketplace ShopThing raised $10 million to scale its efforts. The company's focus on luxury brands in particular. Live shopping is still a phenomenon that has not yet significantly caught on in the U.S. If there is a place it could work, however, it may be luxury events designed to promote exclusivity, generate excitement, and take advantage of how powerful social signaling is. Third, Shopify analytics platform Triple Whale raised $27.7 million to develop a default e-commerce operating system for Shopify brands. The company seems to be focused on analytics and operating metrics. Looking forward to seeing how this evolves as this analytics-focused Shopify space has recently gotten extremely competitive with other companies like Dacity joining. The big problem with companies that want to be the operating system for Shopify is that Shopify itself wants to be the operating system for Shopify. Fourth, machine learning prediction company Black Crow AI raised $25 million in Series A financing. The company predicts the value of a website visitor in real time so that the experience can be personalized and monetized. Think of the opportunities if you were to know within three clicks of someone's visit whether or not they were going to convert or not. How might your site change? That gives you some idea what the company is up to. Fifth, Shopify acquired Dovetail in an effort to intensify its focus on creators. 
While the company is definitely late to this party, that doesn't mean it won't be successful. It's just an already competitive market. I've often said that at this point in its life, Shopify is more vulnerable to low-end disruption with creators focused on social media first and direct-to-consumer is secondary. In these situations, Shopify and its gigantic app stores start to seem more and more complex. At the very least, this tells me Shopify sees the same thing and is looking to stay even with the trend. And finally, online Asian food and essentials marketplace Yami raised $50 million to continue expansion. The company's a direct-to-consumer marketplace and the CPG specialty could be an interesting way for new brands to break into the American market. I like this kind of niche marketplace because it has a clear focus, even if the potential there is limited. That's all for this week. Till next time, Watsonians. Hi, I'm Rick Watson, CEO and founder of RMW Commerce Consulting and host of the Watson Weekly Podcast, your essential e-commerce digest. Our show is produced by Citizen Racecar. Alex Brower is the producer and also wrote our theme music. The executive producer is David Hoffman. To hear new episodes of the show every Monday morning, subscribe now at rmwcommerce.com slash Watson Weekly and wherever you get your podcasts.